Shortly after our honeymoon, Robin and I, about a week after our honeymoon, Robin and I moved to Louisville, Kentucky. We lived in Duluth, Georgia. Uh, We moved to Louisville, Kentucky uh, so that I could attend seminary. And when we got up there, we did not have a whole lot of money. In fact, once we got done paying our bills for that month, we had about $7 for the month to splurge. Uh, and so, as you can imagine, we didn't really do a whole lot. We didn't have a whole lot. Uh, but it was in those moments and those times in our life, as it's been repeated throughout our life, but particularly that moment in our life, where God would constantly remind us of his goodness and his, uh, his graciousness to us, uh, his generosity, and how he cares for us and for his kids. I remember there were times where my heart would get start welling up within me anxiety and worry uh, because I saw what our bills presented before me. I saw what our bank account was, and I would think there's no way that we can pay our bills. We just don't have enough money. And it wasn't that we lived extravagant or any of those kind of things. Uh, And so as I would go to the mailbox and I would collect our bills uh, without fail, there was always some kind of an envelope mixed in and when you open up that envelope there was a check and sometimes it was a check from people that we knew sometimes it was a check from people that we had no idea who they were but there were very particular times where we had an x number of amount that we had to pay for bills and we did not have that amount left to pay for the bills and when i went and picked up that check or pick up the mail and the check was in there there were times where that check was the exact amount of the bills that we owed that happened numerous times as we uh, in that series of our or that season of our life but my heart would be filled with anxiety i'd often ask and wonder do we have enough and in those moments god would graciously and patiently take my fragile heart and he would remind me that he knows what i need and he would remind me of times over and over again where he would meet my, uh, my need. That he was a good and generous father who cares and provides for his kids. It's something that I have needed to be reminded of repeatedly throughout my adult life. Because my heart can easily go towards and my mind can be consumed with worry and anxiety. Will I have enough? Or am I enough? Luke chapter 12 Jesus is engaging us with this idea of our life not being governed by fear and anxiety uh, and instead calls us into a life of assurance and faith. JP mentioned the first half of that last week. This week, Jesus presses in specifically in these verses to anxiety over stuff. Do I have enough? Will I have enough? It's about where do we place our hope and our happiness? Is it in God and his kingdom or is it in our possessions or the lack thereof? It's about where do we find our identity and where do we find our security and where do we find our worth? Is it in the things that we have or the lack of the things that we have or is it in the one who provides all things? And so this morning, I really have two broad questions that I want to think about as we look at our text this morning. The first one is, what kind of life is Jesus inviting us into? What kind of life does God intend for his people to live out? What is that, what is that life that Jesus is inviting us into? And then the second one is, how do we cultivate that life 
in our life? How is our life shaped around this calling, this invitation that Jesus is inviting us into? So what I want to do is start with the first question. What kind of life is Jesus calling us into? Look with me again, starting in verse 13. The situation, the context takes place where someone in the crowd says to him, says to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he, Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. And then he told a parable saying the the land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for you for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, tonight your soul is required of you. And these things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And so Jesus is going along and someone in the crowd yells out. They have this request. Jesus, would you tell my brother to divide the inheritance? And so this was not an uncommon thing. In first century, when a father died, the oldest son typically would get two-thirds of the inheritance. And then he would become the uh, the executor of the rest of the, the state, rest of the inheritance. And his job was to divide the rest of the inheritance out among the family. And so in this case, apparently that wasn't happening. So this guy yells out, Jesus, would you do something with about this? Would you take care of this problem? But notice that Jesus here refuses to engage in the dispute over material possessions. Instead, he presses into a deeper issue concerning the human heart. And he does two things here. The first thing that he does is he warns us against a life of greed. And the second thing he does is he invites us into a life of generosity. So Jesus warns against a life of greed. In verse 15, Jesus sees the human heart. Jesus presses into something deeper, something underneath the request of this man that shouts this out. And he says in verse 15, take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus says, take care. There's something that is deep within the human heart. Take care. And he tells us to watch out because whatever this is, is dangerous and is often very difficult to see. And so he warns us, be on your guard against all covetousness. The New Living Translation translates it. It says, uh, guard yourself against every kind of greed. And so Jesus response to this man's request is to warn us against a life of greed take care pay attention because greed is sneaky and it is subtle and is hard to see especially within our own heart he says watch out guard yourself against every kind of greed because it shows up in every kind of way it's sneaky 
Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, if you have never read it, I encourage you to pick it up and read it. It's a great little book. But he talks about in there this this time when he was doing uh, in a men's uh, like prayer breakfast, he was leading a seven part series over the seven deadly sins. And each week he would cover one of those topics like pride and wrath and different things like that. And he said all of them were very well attended except for the week that he did greed. The topic of greed was very low attendance comparative to all the others. And he thought about that for a moment. And this is what he said. He said, as a pastor, I've had people come to me and confess all kinds of sins that they've struggled with. Almost. I cannot recall anyone ever coming to me and saying, Pastor, I spend too much money on myself. I struggle with greed. I'm a greedy person. He said never in his pastoral ministry can he remember anyone specifically coming to him and asking him about that. And I began to think about that and it dawned on me, I don't know if I've ever really confessed that to anyone else. And I can't remember anyone else confessing that to me. So think in your own life, in your own experience, how many times have you confessed, I'm a greedy person to somebody else? Or had somebody come and share with you some sin that they're struggling with and it was centered around the greed of their own heart. I imagine not many of us have ever experienced that or or have been a part of that. And so Keller thinks about this and he says this as to why. He says because nobody thinks that they are greedy. Greed hides itself from its victims. Its modus operandi includes a blindness to your own heart. Jesus warns us here against a life of greed. He says, pay attention. Watch out. Guard yourself because greed comes in all kinds of unexpected ways. And so if greed is sneaky and if greed shows up in all kinds of ways, and if it's so deep within our human heart that we're often blinded to it and we don't see it even in our own heart, then how do we know if we struggle with greed? Jesus mentions two ways that greed often reveals its, its, itself. One is obvious. The other, maybe not. The guy, the rich man in the parable. Jesus tells this parable. He says, in the land, a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and all of my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for you for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. We can hear the boastfulness there in this story. The I, 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 me, me, me. Look at what all I have. I'm going to continue to accumulate and store up and prepare for myself more and more treasures. A greedy heart is a boastful heart. It's a heart that is that that uh, brags about what it has or brags to others about what they want to think that you have. And so one way the, a greedy heart reveals itself is through boastfulness. But there's also a second way, and it's through anxious worry. And this is what Jesus presses into with his disciples. Look at verse 22 and verse 29. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious of your life, what you will eat, nor your body, what you will put on. And then in verse 29, he says, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. 
What Jesus does in this situation is he zooms in to an anxious heart. Into a heart that wonders whether I have enough or whether I will have enough have enough he's not speaking about a generalized anxiety that comes from broken relationships or just the result of our brokenness of our sin in our bodies that kind of anxiety may need some trained and biblical careful counselor to walk through these situations with you help you understand your story and all of these these different things help you peel back the layers of what's going on there and in some cases it may even require medicine but here jesus is speaking specifically of an anxiety that is related to the things that we have and underneath that an anxiety that's related to greed and so jesus mentions these two ways two ways that a greedy heart reveals itself through boasting And through anxious worry. Boasting is what you do when you feel like you have enough. Or you want others around you to think that you have enough. Anxious worry is what you do when you feel like that you don't have enough. Or that you won't have enough. Boasting and worrying together are often intermingled. But they spring from the same root sin. Which is a heart of greed. They're intermingled in our desire to save lots of money and so that we have ways of controlling our world and our life. We want to safely invest all that we can and save all that we can because we have this need to feel secured and protected and controlled. And the more we store up, the more we feel safe. And it's also intermingled in our desire to spend lots of money on ourselves. In order to fit into a certain social circle or feel accepted or or to make ourselves look beautiful or to look attractive or to look impressive to to others. Greed is often intermingled and it's sneaky because it shows up in all kinds of different ways in our life. And when it takes hold of our heart and grips us, it, it makes us blind to what is going on. And it controls our thoughts and we become anxious and worry that we won't have enough or that we won't be enough. Or it controls us through boastful uh, striving where we're desiring and wanting to amass more and more for ourselves. So let me ask, do you find your sense of security and meaning and worth in what you have or what you could have or what you want to have? Do you believe that you can't have the good life that is full and rich and full of joy apart from having those things? Jesus sees this and he warns the crowd and he warns us against a life of greed, but he also invites us into a life of generosity. Look at verse 15 with me again. He says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Why? For one's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. Abundant stuff does not make an abundant life. When he uses the word consist here, to consist of one's possessions is to be defined by what you own or by what you consume. It is to set your heart and your hope and your happiness on the abundance or the lack of your possessions. And so Jesus here in verse 15 says, One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, as I was studying through this, and JP mentioned this several weeks ago, there are three different words in the Greek New Testament for life. The first one is bios, which we get our word biology, and it refers to physical life. The other word is suke, which we get our word psychology, 
And it's, it refers to uh, how we find our identity or our worth. And the other is Zoe. Zoe is life as it's meant to be. It's life that is deep and rich and full. C.S. Lewis says that Zoe is the life that is in God for all of eternity. God has Zoe life. God is Zoe life, eternal, abundant, everlasting life. It's the life that Jesus came to give. In fact, in John 10, Jesus says, I have come to give Zoe and give it abundantly. And it's that word that we find for life in verse 15. For one's Zoe does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. Yes, material uh, things, material possessions help to secure our bios. We need to eat and we need to drink and we need clothes and we need houses and all those different things. We need those physical things. That is true. And it does give us a sense of our identity. In fact, we often misplace our identity in our possessions or lack of possessions and our security in those things as well. And when we misplace it into uh, suke instead of zoe, then we, what we end up doing is, is flowing out of a heart of sin. Jesus comes and gives abundant life. Life that is true, full, meaningful, rich, deep, abounding, thriving, eternal. The good life that Jesus is talking about. And it's in that Zoe life that Jesus gives. A life that cannot be found. That kind of life cannot be found in the bios or in the suke kind of life. It's not in what we have in our abundance or lack of our abundance. It's not found in what we have or what we strive after. It is found in the life that Jesus brings. The life that is found in an abundantly generous and gracious God. The life that Jesus gives to us finds its root in the generosity of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Paul says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. We see the generosity of God in Christ that he gave up the treasures of heaven so that you could become his treasured possession. And that is what the life is. This abundant Zoe life that he's talking about. That our life consists of not what we own, but in who owns us. And when we see this, and when we rest in the generosity of God towards us, it leads us to a life of generosity towards others. In fact, modern research shows that a generous life leads to the fuller life. As I did some research on, on this, I came across a couple of different studies. And it, one of them said that generosity makes us happier. The study shows that generous people tend to have lower blood pressure, lower chronic pain, lower cases of dementia, lower depression. Generosity not only makes us healthier, but it makes us happier. All the the things in your brain that, that, that make you happy, the endorphins and the dopamine, all of that fires when we give stuff away. We feel better when we're generous people. So it's no wonder that Jesus says you're more blessed to give than you are to receive. 
Generosity, according to the studies, lowers stress levels. The studies showed with heart monitors and other things that those who give more, their stress was lower. Those who gave less, their stress was higher. When you give more, your stress goes down. Generosity improves our relationships. This one study was showing that those in the, in the in marriage, generosity in marriage, those who are more generous towards one another, uh, the results show that they had a happier uh, marriage. They were happier in their marriage as a result of those things. And generosity extends our life. Those who give generally of their time and volunteer and give their life away The study said that 63% had a lower mortality rate. What do we take away from that? This is what we take away from that. If you want to live longer, volunteer and go to kids. That's what we take away from that. (laughs) The research does show, though, that this isn't I give one time, and if I give one time, then I should expect to live 63% longer than everyone else around me. It doesn't work that way. But there is a correlation in the study and what it is, what it is showing. And it's this, that generosity reflects the heart and the character of God. So it's not surprising that a generous, generosity as a way of life leads to a fuller life where greed is a life stealing reality and it leads the opposite direction away from life. So Jesus warns us against a life of greed and he invites us into a life of generosity, an abundant life that flows out of his life, this Zoe life that he has come to give. And so how do we cultivate this abundant life? How do we cultivate this life of generosity? How do we step into that? How is that shaped in our heart, in our life? Well, that's the second question. And look with me down in verse 29 through 31. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The way that we cultivate this abundant life, the way that we are set free from the life-sucking uh, uh, patterns of greed and cultivate this life-giving generosity as a way of life and step into the thing that Jesus is calling us into, we must do a couple of things. One is remember who you are. Remember who you are. Look at what he says in verse 32. Fear not, little flock. Jesus calls us sheep. He calls us sheep. Now, before we think sheep are cute and cuddly, the reality is that sheep are dumb, sheep are defenseless, and sheep are dependent. And that's the point. And as I was studying and preparing for this, I came across a gift or a gift or whatever you call it. It's 10 seconds. But I think it perfectly illustrates the point. What you'll see is a, is a sheep stuck in a ditch. And then what? watch what happens. Go ahead. Play. Play it one more time. Jesus, help me. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. Don't know. Oh, Jesus, thank you for helping me. Thank you for setting me free. Bloop. Right back in there. Sheep, the reality is sheep are not cute and cuddly. They're dumb. They're defenseless. They're absolutely and completely dependent upon the shepherd. A greedy heart believes 
It believes that it is self-sustaining, that it is self-sufficient, that it is self-reliant. And it's in what it's able to do that it finds its worth and it finds its security and it finds its identity in the possessions that it owns. But we're not meant to live that way. We're not meant to live that way at all. We, we lack the wisdom to know how to live life well. We need help. We need a guide. We need somebody to constantly pull us out of the ditch that we keep jumping back into. We're not meant to live life in our own strength. The abundant life is not a life lived in a self-sustaining and self-reliant way focused on its own possessions. It is a life that is lived dependent upon the resources of another's abundance, not our own abundance. And so how do we stay out of the ditch? We stay out of the ditch by being dependent. We keep confessing over and over again our need for someone else to lead, someone else to provide, someone else to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And notice here also that he calls us little flock. The use here that Jesus is talking about is plural. They're not singular. Jesus is not speaking to you as an individual. He's speaking to you as a community. He's speaking to us as a flock. When Jesus says, seek that his kingdom and these things will be added unto you. One of the ways in which God intends to add these things unto you is through his people, his flock. You are not a single sheep following a single shepherd. You are a flock of sheep following the great shepherd. And part of the way that God meets the need of his sheep is through his flock. That's how he does it. I've seen this happen time and time again in my own life where that has happened, where others have met the needs that I've had. And there have been times where I've had the experience where God has used me to meet the needs of others. I imagine if you think about your own life experience, you've seen that happen. You have been in a position to where you've been able to meet the needs of others, of the flock of God. And there have been times when others have been able to meet your need. That's how God does this. That's how he works. The life that Jesus is inviting us into is into a community that is marked by generosity. So Jesus is reminding us of who we are. He is telling us that you are a dependent sheep, a part of an interdependent flock. You are you have a father and you are a part of a family. Your father knows of your needs. So seek his kingdom and all of these things will be added to you. And so the way that we cultivate a life of generosity is one by remembering who we are. But secondly, by remembering whose we are. Look at verse 29 through 31 again. He says, do not seek what you eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. Your father, your father knows that you need them do not fear little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom do you hear the language remember whose you are your father knows what you need and it is his good pleasure to give to you to provide he takes pleasure in that when we moved back Ten years ago, when we moved back from Anderson, South Carolina, where I was pastoring a church, to here to start a church, one of the things that I did is I got my real estate license because church planting, we didn't have a sending church at that moment. There's not a lot of financial support in church planting, so I was trying to figure out a way that I could support my family and serve the church uh, and gave me the flexibility to do both, so I got my real estate license. Uh, And that was about ten years ago. And so um, it gave me the ability... And the flexibility to to work and and provide for family, but also gave me the time and the flexibility to serve the church. 
And what I knew, but then what I found out quickly in my own experience with real estate is that there are no guarantees. There's ebbs and flows in real estate. It's 100% commission, so you don't get paid until the closing happens. And so what would happen is you would work with an individual or a family or a couple or whatever, and you work with uh, weeks, months, multiple months at a time trying to help them sell their house or buy a house or whatever, and it's not until after the closing that you get paid. And sometimes you didn't get paid because the deal fell apart. Plans changed, circumstances changed, so you spend all this time serving people and helping them, and then you don't get paid. And so that is a very hard thing to learn in the experience. And so when, when the commission tr- check would come, it wasn't for that moment. It was for the months prior, and it was for the months future, because oftentimes I didn't know when the next closing was going to come. Sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't. And so it makes this very ebb and flow. And my proneness towards anxiety, it emphasizes that. And so I have these thoughts that come into my mind. Do I have enough? Will I have enough? I'm not going to have enough. So anxiety would well up. And if I could be very just honest, this past year was the worst year I had ever had in real estate. My income dropped 75% from the year before to this past year. To the point that in the summer, I didn't know what we were going to do. I didn't, we weren't going to have enough money to make it through the end of the year. There were nothing on the horizon. It was just very hard time. I was scheduled to preach and I had to call JP and say, I, I can't do it. Because I cannot get my mind off of the reality that I don't have, I don't have enough. And so I'm, I'm freaking out, right? They're like two weeks solid. I couldn't sleep. I'm worried. Uh, I'm, I'm freaking out. I'm, I can't even focus long enough on Scripture to even prepare a sermon. So I called him. I called the elders. I asked them to pray for me. I was like, I, I may have to look for a different job. All this stuff. All this stuff was circling around in my head. Freaking out. This anxiety was welling up. And in those moments, God reminded me of how gracious and generous He is. He reminded me of who I am and whose I am. He reminded me that He knows what I need and that He reminded me of all the times that He has known my needs and met my needs in some ways that I couldn't even explain. He reminded me of how He had provided. He reminded me that that it's His good pleasure to meet my need. He reminded me of His generous heart. And at the end of about two weeks or whatever it was, when He settled that in my heart, the anxiety disappeared. The worry disappeared. It went away. Jesus gives these great pictures in our text of the Father's provision. He says in verse 24, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor weep or reap. They have neither storehouses nor barns, and yet God feeds them. Oh, how much more valuable are you than the birds? Verse 27, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his glory was arrayed as one of these. God has repeatedly and in that moment this past summer, specifically by His Spirit, reminded me of whose I am. Andy, do you see how I care for the birds? Do you see that? 
You are more valuable to me than all the birds of the earth. Do you not believe that I will care for you? Do you not believe that I will meet your needs? I had to learn that lesson once again. I had to learn to rest, not in my bank account, but in the kindness and the graciousness and the generosity of God. And as my heart was reoriented towards Him, the anxiety that I felt was replaced by, assur- by assurance. Regardless of how He was going to provide, I trusted that He would provide. And I was, I was learning to be content in whatever that provision was. Regardless of what it was. And so we cultivate this life of generosity by remembering who we are, but also by remembering whose we are, and finally by resting in the Father's promise. Look at verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You hear that? Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The life that Jesus is inviting us into is a life that reorients itself around the promise that our Father in heaven is abundantly gracious. A life of generosity flows out of a life that it rests in the promise of a generous God. When we rest in that promise, we are a generous people. Which then means that how we view our possessions and how we view our money, how we view our time... How we view our stuff has everything to do with what we believe God to be. Jesus makes this connection in verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where we put our energy and where we put our time, how we handle our money and how we handle our possessions can be traced back to what we treasure, what we love, what we obey, and ultimately what we believe about God's heart. It all can be traced to that. Our anxiety and our boasting regarding money and possessions and time and stuff has a direct connection to how we view God's heart. Whether things are great or things are bad. So how do you see God? Do you see Him as a stingy, uncaring, unloving, disconnected, reluctant, begrudging, disappointed in my performance? Or do you see God as a gracious and generous and good and loving and a deeply happy Father who loves to provide for His sheep? If you go all the way back to the beginning, the great lie that seeped into Adam and Eve and still courses through our veins even today is that God is not good. That God is not enough. That He isn't for us. That somehow He's holding out on us. And that lie that shows up in, it shows up in our life and the way that we handle our money and our time and our possessions and our things. And we say to God in those moments when we're boasting or worry that you are not good, that you are not enough, that I don't really trust you to provide. And Jesus is saying, no, no, I have fulfilled the requirements. I have paid the debt. I have secured the financing. And it is your Father's good pleasure to give you freely and graciously and fully His whole glorious kingdom. Isn't that an amazing promise? That it is your Father in heaven who knows what you need and he isn't unaware and he isn't unwilling and he isn't unable to provide but he is he is rich 
And He is abundantly generous. And it is His good pleasure to give you what you need. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that your Father in Heaven is abundantly generous? So He warns us against this life of greed and He invites us into this life of generosity, into the life, the kind of life that comes only from Christ. And so as you take stock this morning, as we close out and take communion in just a moment, as you take stock of your life, ask yourself a couple of things. Am I anxiously striving? Am I feeling like I don't have enough? Or I don't feel like I am enough? Or I'm worried that I won't have enough? Is that where you are? Is that where you're living right now? In your heart and in your mind? Am I boastfully amassing because I'm placing my hope and my happiness and my security and my future in my things? Where is it that you're sitting this morning? What is it that Jesus wants you to see? What is it that he's calling you to repent of? Abundant possessions does not equal an abundant life. For your life does not consist of the abundance or the lack of your possessions. And so the way that we are set free from gripping anxiety and those kinds of things and live into generosity is to remember who we are. We are the little flock. We are are dependent sheep, a part of an interdependent flock. Whose we are. Our Father in heaven is a gracious and generous God. And we rest in the promise that it is our Father's good pleasure to give to his flock, to his people, the whole kingdom. Let's pray. Father, Father, we marvel at your promises. Father, you offer to meet us and you offer to be with us. You graciously provide and patiently remind us of who we are and whose we are. You're more generous than we can even imagine or fathom. And yet we can consistently mistrust you. We consistently mistrust your heart. We constantly and continually believe the lie that you won't come through. That you're not enough. And so as we come to this time of communion, we confess that all of these things and ask that you would, by your spirit, that you would take this truth of the gospel, that you would drive it deep in our hearts once again. That we would see your heart. Help us to see your heart. That our souls might trust you, regardless of where we are right now in this moment. That we would rest in your generosity towards us so that we would be marked by a pattern of generosity in our life towards others. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we come to a time of communion, it's a